Um, a couple weeks ago on New Year's Day, I spoke a little bit about where I'd like to see Redemption Church head over the course of this coming year. And I said three things specifically. I just want to review them real quick. One is first, I want us to keep praying. Over the last year, we've prayed on Sundays for some specific things. And I just want us to keep praying for these things together. I want us to pray for the advancement of the gospel, for salvation, for more discipleship, for missional communities to replicate and grow, for DNAs to be a place where we're really like pushing in on each other's lives. I want us to pray for leaders to rise up. I want us to pray for more diversity, even in in this body. I want us to pray not just for diversity, but for reconciliation and unity. Um, I want us to continue to pray for those things. And I'm praying that God would use our prayers to change our individual hearts and our heart as a body of Christ to be more like his because I believe he's been doing that over the course of the last year, and I just want to see that continue to happen. Second thing is I wanted us, I said I wanted us to radically dedicate ourselves to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. That's just the definition of what disciple, being a disciple means. That's what we've been saying around here a lot. And I just want us to be radically dedicated to submitting all of our life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. And the, the reality is, is that that's actually a pretty dirty work. Right? Because we all have brokenness and we all have mess that's going to need dealing with. And it's not always fun to let other people bring the gospel to bear in our lives. It can hurt. I mean, can you imagine letting your MC speak the gospel into your spending habits or your parenting or your love life or some other personal issue? I mean, I think we would all agree that it's probably wise to do that and that there's probably something good about it. But it's actually a lot, easy, a lot harder. It's easier said than done right? Because actually doing so, actually letting others lean into your life with the gospel, it's pretty easy to become defensive, to become deflective, uh, and, or maybe just blow up at each other. However, it's a good work because we learn by God's grace to lean into the mess of each other's brokenness with the gospel, and when we do that, I think we'll experience the beauty of redemption that will compel us to take the gospel to others. And the last thing, the third thing was that I want us to see us radically dedicate ourselves to identifying and reaching outsiders with the love of Jesus. Because truly, I think that we, if we're going to take the gospel to people that nobody else is reaching, we're going to have to go to people that nobody else is going to. And that's going to take some radical commitment. But we have to become a church that goes to the would-be outsiders and brings the gospel to bear on the brokenness, on the brokenness and on the injustices of our world and in our culture and we know that that's a work that can get messy. This too will put us at odds with each other at times, but I remain convinced that when we lean into the tension, into our conflicts, into our differences, into the mess, and we're looking to Jesus first, we'll see the beauty of redemption at work, and we'll see things happen that we can't even imagine. We'll see the gospel advance in ways that we can't even imagine. And I say all that, all that because today, with all those things in mind that I'd like to see in 2017. And then also, after this week's inauguration and just like the, 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 the current cultural climate that we have where there's all kinds of issues being raised and, and divisiveness and, and whatnot, just all the things and all the news we're hearing, right? Because of these uh, three things that I want to see happen here and then all the stuff that we're just kind of dealing with in our climate, I really wanted... Us to, I just wanted us to, to see and to begin to press into the darkness together. Specifically, I wanted to talk more as a church about what it looks like for the gospel to bear on the injustices around us and the brokenness around us. I wanted to talk about how we are called to take the gospel to the oppressed. 
I want to talk about how we're called to take the, the gospel to the broken. I kind of wanted us to talk about racial reconciliation and how it's a gospel issue. I also want to talk about how the gospel leads us to confront the normalization of pornography, about our sex-saturated culture, a, a sex-saturated culture that, that like perpetuates evils from identity crises and gender confusion to rape, to sex trafficking, and to the enslavement of even the children of our world. I'd like us to talk about that. I also want to talk about abortion, about what it truly means to be pro-life, and about what it means to bring the gospel to bear in these places, all these places. I wanted to talk, I just so want us to talk about these things as a redemption church. Like I want to start putting some stuff in action. I want to see this stuff go into action. I, I, I mean, we probably just want to solve the things, right? I want to talk about it. I want to talk about what it means to be Redemption Church, a church that believes that there's plentiful redemption in Jesus alone, and a church who goes about the work of making Jesus known and of shining a light into these dark places. I really want us to all push into those hard places and be changed by the gospel and sent out with the gospel. And coming into this Sunday with all of that and into this passage in Scripture in Matthew 16, 24 through 28, I honestly just wanted us to talk more about what it means for us to start stepping into those places. But I'm not going to go there. Even though I kind of just did. Uh, I'm not going to talk about all of that, but I want those things. I want that vision for our church, and I want the things that are going on in the climate around us. I want our context to be a backdrop and to be uh, just a sort of, yeah, sort of a backdrop as we examine and hear the invitation that Jesus gives us today as we continue in the story of Matthew. So today's passage is found in Matthew 16, 24 through 28. And it begins with these words. You can turn there, Matthew 16, 24 through 28. It just begins with these words. Then Jesus told his disciples. That's a cue that we might need some context because we need to know what, what then is from, right? Where we just come from. If you remember from last week what Reggie talked about, uh, then you may already be familiar with the context of this passage. But if not, I'm just going to give a quick uh, review. Just before this section, just before this passage, Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus reveals that Peter's right and that he's going to build his church upon this, his confession, and also with, he's going to use Peter and the apostles to build his church. Then Jesus foretells his death and resurrection, revealing that all that they've expected of the Christ, of the person they're confessing of Christ, what they've expected to be a conquering king, he kind of reveals that that's not in line with what it really will take for him to actually save. Because instead, Jesus sets a course for the cross towards his death and his resurrection. And then Peter hears this foretelling of his death after he just confessed him to be the Christ. And he has a response that I think I can relate to and I think many of us might relate to, where he rebukes Jesus and is like, never. I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't say that, right? Hey, I'm going to be dying. I'm going to die. I'm going to go be crucified. No. You know, I mean, I, I can... It also, he rebuked Jesus, so that's messed up. But then in this dramatic, dramatic twist of uh, events, this dramatic tw uh, twist in the story here, Peter goes from confessing Jesus as Christ, being used to build the church, and then Jesus calls him Satan, right? Reggie went into all that last week. You can catch the, the sermon on the website if you'd like. But to that, at the very end, he adds this in verse 23 calls him Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
Then Jesus told his disciples, right? You're not setting your, things, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus goes on to tell his disciples. It's out of this tension that we enter today's passage. Jesus identifies the tension we all feel pulling at us between setting our mind on the things of man and setting our mind on the things of God. And he reveals how they starkly are contrasted, how they just are not the same, they cannot be the same. And he reveals how, uh, yeah, he, just, he, he reveals the differences and how they cannot both, we cannot have our mindset on both things. So Jesus, in this week's passage, is getting to the heart of that tension and contrasting the differences between the things of man and the things of God and where each leads. And that's what I want us to start out with, is we're coming into this passage out of that tension, that we want to set our mind on the things of man, but we're called to set our mind on the things of God. And this is what it says, Matthew 16, 24 through 28. You can read along with me. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So this passage breaks down into just roughly three parts that we'll go through. Um, one is a call or an invitation. That's the first part. The second part is an explanation as to why we should answer that call. And the last part is kind of a look forward to things that are coming. This passage is first an invitation and a call. In light of the tension between setting one's mind on the things of man or on the things of God, it's a call and an invitation. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's an invitation to set our minds on the things of God by following Jesus, right? The Christ. And we follow him into what is truly life. And while this passage is an invitation, it's also an instruction. Uh, who sends an invitation without directions, right? Or like with times and dates. I think uh, Ansley, I think it was Ansley's first birthday. It was one of our kids' birthdays. I think it was Ansley's first birthday this past year where we designed our own uh, invi birthday invitation for her birthday party and we ordered them probably from Shutterfly or something like that. They come in the mail and like our address is cut off the bottom. And uh, well, we moved this past year so... <laughs> Some of the people who we were inviting don't know where we live. So the address is pretty essential. So, of course, we had to uh, redesign it so that it wouldn't get cut off the bottom and then reorder them so that we could send those out because what good is it to be invited to a birthday party which you can't attend because you don't have directions or you don't have instructions, right? And this is the instruction included in Jesus' invitation to follow him. It says, if anyone would come, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Around Redemption Church, you'll often hear, and I've already said it this morning, the invitation to increasingly submit all areas of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. Like I said, it's one of the things that I'm praying to see us radically commit to over this year. That invitation has the same heart as the invitation Jesus is giving here. Now, often I think we hear the words deny yourself and take up your cross, and we just kind of figure that Jesus had to deal with some rough stuff, like he had to deal with the cross, and so it's to be expected that we'd have to bear up under some hardships as well. 
But this invitation that Jesus is giving is not a call just to bear up under hardships, right? It's not just a call to like deal with the bad stuff in life, but it's, a, it's actually a call to follow him and to, be continually, to continually die to the self and live to Christ. It's to increasingly submit all of life to Jesus. And that's the invitation that he's giving here. You're invited. Maybe you hear it. You're invited to humbly follow Jesus. There's no other way to accept the invitation that he offers other than by these instructions because any other way would not be following Jesus at all, would it? You'd become his adversary. I mean, think about it. When Jesus uh, says to Peter in just the scene before, I'm going to the cross or I'm going to die, and Peter says, no, no, never, then, Peter, then Peter's just saying he knows better than Jesus, which is ridiculous if he's actually the Christ. Would Peter be the leader and the savior of Jesus? And so that's for us too. If we could confess Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King, but then only deny, and then deny his instructions in his way, wouldn't we also be denying his invitation to follow him? Because we wouldn't be following him at all. We'd be following our own lead. Maybe it sounds like a gospel that's salvation by works. It's not. Listen, taking up your cross and following Jesus like I have to say this, taking up your cross and following Jesus by no means earns forgiveness of sin. And it doesn't put you in a justified position before God. It doesn't earn it. Instead, rather, you take up your cross and you follow Jesus because you've humbly recognized that you absolutely cannot earn your forgiveness and you cannot uh, justify yourself before God. And you come to see that Jesus is the Christ and that he's the only way and he's the leader and he's called you and he's made a way for you. And so he leads to life and the life lived for your created purpose, which you cannot live a life for your created purpose as you're purposed in your creation. Is that how you say it? You can't do that apart from what Christ has done. Listen, the gospel calls us to humble obedience, not to earn abundant life, but to truly live life abundantly, right? Before we move on from this, this section and into the next, this, this call, this invitation, this instruction, before we move from this, let's, let's talk quickly about the language of take up your cross, the word cross, and follow me. The use of the language of the cross by Jesus may either go unnoticed by some of us or, or, or it could seem strange to others. And this is why, on, on, on the one hand, right, it could go unnoticed because of our overfamiliarity with the cross. I mean, the cross is... Uh, in our churches, uh, we're familiar with the story of Jesus. We know that he died on the cross. It's probably all over your Instagram and stuff on Easter or whenever. Uh, you know the cross. It's probably on your, maybe you have a bumper sticker with a cross on it or something. The cross is everywhere and we're overly familiar with it. And so it's possible that this familiarity allows us to read right past Jesus' use of the language of the cross here and we just kind of miss it. On the other hand, it's also possible that it stands out as a bit odd, like a bit weird that he talks about the cross here, that Jesus calls his followers to take up their cross because nobody knew how he was going to die yet, right? I mean, this is before he went to the cross, so it's, it's a little odd. However, it's not odd that Jesus mentions it. And I think we have to be careful to take note of it for at least two reasons, and I just want to go over these quickly. One reason that it's not odd that Jesus mentions taking up your cross and that we should take it seriously and note it uh, is because the cross was an extremely well-known and feared execution tactic in the Roman Empire. 
They would often tie a crossbeam to the back of the one who was to be executed and make them carry it to the place where they'd be executed, right? I mean, we know the scene with Jesus, but this is what they would do. They'd put it on his back, and then they would make you carry it to the place you'd be executed. Then they would fix them to the cross, even with nails, to that beam. They'd attach it to a riser, and then they'd hoist them into the air, or to be beaten, they'd be mocked, and they would die a slow, extremely agonizing death, often by, I guess, asphyxiation. Those who died up there on a cross in the air would then serve as a sign uh, the, to, to, those who would, to those in the empire who would dare to rise up against Rome. What's the message, right? You cross Rome and we will end you and we will end you miserably. This paints a picture. I mean, this, this does, it's not odd because when Jesus uses this language, it, especially as we understand his persistent message through the book of Matthew of his inbreaking kingdom of God and his own identity as the long-expected Christ and king who is bringing this kingdom to bear, then this, this word, the cross, paints a picture that's familiar and laced with kind of like insinuation about whose kingdom one is living under. Take up your cross makes one consider whose kingdom your, your allegiance is under. Is it the kingdoms of man or is it the kingdoms of God? And then the second reason that this isn't odd that he uses the word the cross and it's important that we take note of it as well and we don't miss it is because Jesus does know how he will die. I think we have to get that. We have to, Jesus does know how he will die. And that says a great deal to us on the other side of the cross about who he is. I mean, come on, Jesus just before this foretold his death and resurrection to Peter and the disciples. And he's going to do it a few more times before it actually happens with more details. After seeing Peter answer the question last week of who he believed Jesus was, Reggie Reggie last week charged us to ask ourselves the question, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And so I just think when we, we see this word, the cross, and we, maybe we see that Jesus does know what's going to happen, would we also confess him as Christ, yet deny him the ability to know everything and control everything, even the how and the when of his death? It says a lot about who we actually think he is. I just wanted to talk briefly about that because it's my hope that we can break from the familiarity with the cross this morning enough to recognize the story shift here. Listen, Jesus set course for the cross. Jesus set course toward the cross very intentionally with his disciples. From here on out, everything is intentionally under the shadow of the coming cross. I mean, the whole story, the whole Bible's under the shadow of the cross, but very intentionally here, we see Jesus turning the eyes of the disciples towards a cross and to begin to, to, to ask some questions. And so the invitation and instruction is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus, the Christ. Reggie said this in, I think, one of the sermons on the sermon, uh, one of the messages on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, This gospel principle is true righteousness begins at the end of ourselves. That's really good. And so the invitation is to lay down our allegiance to ourselves, to come to the end of ourselves, to to lay down our allegiance to the kingdoms of the world and to bring the things of man, I mean, and the things of man, to lay down ourselves, to, 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 to lay down our allegiance to the things of man and submit all of life to Jesus as our Lord. 
Righteousness comes at the end of ourselves. The gospel calls us to humble obedience, not to earn abundant life, but to truly live life abundantly. Now, the second portion of this, mess, of this passage is outlined with three reasons for denying the self and following Jesus, each beginning with the word for, at least in the ESV. Uh, it just kind of helps seeing how, it, uh, how it's laid out. These, are, these points are making a case for setting our minds on the things of God over the things of man, right? Matthew 16, 25 through 27 just says this, and we just read it, but I'm going to read them again. Uh, for whoever would save his life, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. So we're just going to go over these. This, this first four statement echoes a sentiment uh, that Jesus has said throughout Matthew, and that whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We've heard that before already. We heard it in Matthew 10, 39, a few months ago. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what Jesus is revealing here is that the mind of man misunderstands what real life and real living is. We don't actually understand what real life is. We don't actually understand the reality of what living means. In our own minds, we're prone to seek uh, to indulge ourselves and indulge our bodies, to seek comfort, to stay safe from harm. That's what we understand is life. But Jesus is making a case here that real life, that real living is found in denying ourselves of indulgences, right? That's, that real life is in foregoing our own comfort and that even risking our, safe, uh, our, our own safety even to death, that real life is in that somehow when it's for his sake. Just think about heroes. Any hero, pick a hero, I don't know, pick, pick one of your heroes. Those who've sacrificed everything. Do we ever actually assume that they didn't really live life as fully as we do? Like, because we get to watch Netflix all the time? Or whatever? <laughs> like, those who go and are heroes, we think of as heroes, do we think that they didn't live life more fully? So Jesus is making a case that all the things that we're prone to want, like to indulge ourselves, to seek our safety and comfort, and that that's not real life. Real life is in something else. This statement of whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it also reveals what continues through the passage and into the next one, that not only does the mind of man not understand what real life and real living is about, but it mis misunderstands it by believing it to be about this body alone, right? We believe that life is more about this body alone and when in fact there's more to life and life beyond the lifespan of our physical bodies. So the second four asks the question that, that gives an invitation for some reflection, I think. Ask these questions. For, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or his life? And what will, uh, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We know that we can't take anything with us, right? We know we're all going to die. We know that. We don't like to think about it much, but we know that we're going to die and that we don't get to take things with us. I mean, you could throw it in the coffin, but you're not taking it anywhere, right? What will you have with all the great things that you acquire in this life at the end? Nothing. This is not a surprise. We know this. But the mind of man, like, understands life to just be about gratifying our bodies while we can. You know the thing the kids are saying, YOLO? You only live once, right? You only live once, you better grab all you can. Uh, 
I don't, know, I don't know what all the kids mean, but that's what I take it to mean. You only live once, you better do it while you can. But the mind of man understands life to be about gratifying our bodies while we can. But listen, the created purpose of our bodies, which is only understood by setting our mind on the things of God, is not about gratifying our bodies. Life is not about gratifying this body, but about using our body to bear the image of God and to glorify him in the world, right? It's not about gratifying ourselves. It's about being used to use this body to bear the image of God and glorify him in the world. And if we understand what we are created for, then we'll understand what it is to truly live life. Bodies working towards another purpose, to working, uh, bodies working towards a purpose uh, any other pur- I'm sorry, bodies working towards any other purpose besides glorifying God and making him known in the earth are broken and dead. They contain broken and dead souls. It's dead. That's not life. That's not what we were created for, so it's not life. I have an illustration. Have you ever busted a coffee pot? I have, right? I was washing it. I banged it on the sink. Things shatters, right? But the bottom was still good. It was like half a coffee pot with a bunch of jagged edges on top. You know what I did with that coffee pot? I threw it in the garbage, and I had to go buy a new coffee maker. I probably could have bought a coffee pot, but I'm too stupid to think about that, I guess. But anyways, but the thing about it was, like, you know, the, 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 the bottom was still actually intact, and it could hold some coffee, but I'm not going to pour my coffee out of a jagged-edged coffee pot. It'd probably just go all over the counter, and I'd probably end up drinking glass. Uh, a coffee pot... I threw it in the trash because a coffee pot is supposed to both hold coffee and pour coffee, right? When it's busted in half, it no longer serves its purpose effectively, so I threw it in the garbage. And I think this is what it means to be dead. It means to be broken in such a way that we can no longer fulfill our created purposes. We weren't created to gratify our bodies alone to just hold coffee, right? We were created to be poured out. We were created to bear the image of God and glorify him in the earth by stewarding our bodies towards taking care of the earth and like bearing the image of God to each other. That's our pouring out of the coffee, so to speak. We could think of us, if it works, I hope it works, we could think of us as broken coffee pots. However, the good news is that Jesus doesn't discard us, right? Jesus doesn't discard us. Instead, he's making us unbroken. He's putting us back together and he's making us able to live for and under the glory of God. Like he's making us be able to serve our purpose again, to like hold the image of God and pour out the image of God in the earth. This is a call to accept the invitation of Jesus to follow him by understanding and embracing a life that is bigger than merely gratifying our flesh. Because that's not true living. This body is going to die. And that in the end, you'll have nothing. And the last four says this, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And in this, Jesus reveals how the person who keeps his mind on the things of man, the person who stays set on gratifying the body, overusing the body to bear the image of God and glorify him on earth, the, the person who will not submit his all to Jesus Christ, will ultimately lose everything because those who live dead will be sentenced, right? And those who die while truly living will remain alive in him. And there's also a sense of urgency in this, right? 
He's Christ the King, and he's coming with his angels and in the glory of the Father. That time is coming, and we don't know when. There's urgency. There's an expiration on this invitation. Verse 28 goes on to say, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And this serves two purposes. One is to emphasize the the sense of urgency that exists to confess and actually follow Jesus as Christ over ourselves. And it looks forward to the next passage in the Transfiguration, which we'll kind of hit more next week. But all this is a call to humble obedience, not to earn abundant life, but to truly live life abundantly by both confessing Jesus as the Christ and by following Jesus as he's the Christ. This week, in the tension of uh, setting our minds on the things of man or the things of God, I kind of hope that we see that we can't do both. I don't kind of hope. I, I want us to see that we can't do both. The two are at odds with each other. They don't, they don't match up. You can't, be alleg- you can't have allegiance to both. You can't be loyal to both. Only Jesus has made a way for us to truly live life as we were actually created to live it. He went all the way. Listen to this. He went all the way for you. He went all the way for me. He went all the way to the cross. And he defeated death on our behalf and on the behalf of others. So we're called and we're invited by Jesus who went all the way for us to live life abundantly by following him, not gratifying our bodies, but by pouring ourselves out, by bearing the image of God and glorifying him him as we steward the gospel into the broken, dark, messy places of the world. That's our created purpose. That's where we truly live abundant and eternal life is when we're bearing the image of God and pouring it out into the hard places and then all over the earth. That's what you're created to do. I mentioned at the beginning some major broken issues of our day. Uh, and I think the invitation to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus will lead us there. I do think that. I think part of that is we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. We have to follow Jesus then into the temple that we talked about a, a few weeks ago where he's standing up for the oppressed. I think it takes us there. However, However, it's possible that we rush in with our minds set on the things of man, wanting to save the day, wanting to correct all the issues, but we rush in with our minds set on the things of man and not on God, but with a mind that's honestly seeking our own glory, and we'll do nothing but perpetuate the very brokenness and injustices that we want to see healed. That's the danger, right? We can go, we can go rush in if we do that missing Jesus then we'll just add to the brokenness. So the invitation today first is to slay our pride, to deny our own glory and embrace humility and embrace Jesus as the one and only way for true healing and true life. This is going to take some prayerful self-examination. I think if we want to go to the broken places, if we want to get into the mess, if we want to go take the gospel to bear on the social injustices around us or whatnot, then we have to start with this. We have to start with some prayerful self-examination, some asking of ourselves and each other honestly how radically dedicated we truly are to submitting all of our own life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. 
We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and just ask ourselves what that actually means for us. And then we can ask how, we would, how he would have us steward all of life. Our money, how he'd have us steward our money, how he'd have us steward our things, our time, our energy, what we're learning, what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're watching on TV, what our, how we're using our talents, how we're giving and using our assets, how we're using our God-given gifts and our spiritual gifts. We can ask how Jesus would have us pour ourselves out to steward the gospel of Jesus into the messy and broken places in our world, but it starts when we do some prayerful self-examination. What does it mean for us to deny ourselves? God, help me slay my pride, help me humble myself and follow you into all these areas. So the call today is just may we deny ourselves, may we take up our cross and follow Jesus. May we answer the call to humble obedience, understanding that it's not a call uh, to go and earn our life, to earn abundant life or to earn our salvation, but to truly live and give life abundantly. May we answer the call to humble obedience, not to earn abundant life, but to truly live and give our lives abundantly. Just need to ask that question this week. Do some self-examination. I'd love it if we go there with our MCs first. You know, talk about those things with our MCs. What does it look like for me to submit all of life to Jesus? Like, what? Do, I don't know where I'm not doing that, or maybe I honestly do know, and I'm scared to do it or scared to admit it. What does it look like to like bear in each other's lives with that? And we can start asking the question about how do we steward all the things that God has given us to begin to pour ourselves out. And that's not steps. It can all happen pretty simultaneously. But that's the call. We'd answer the call to humble obedience, not to earn abundant life, but to truly live and give our lives abundantly. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for, um, and we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you've made a way, like every week, every day. Thank you. You made a way. We know you. You're our Father. We're your children. We're called sons and daughters. We weren't a people, but we've been made a people. That's fantastic. It's just, it's extraordinary. And I pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to understand how great the love is that you've poured out on us. That as we would see how you love us, that we would uh, love you and that we would begin to be able to love others uh, as you love them, as we see people the way that you see them. That you'd have us live life how you created us to live our life. We pray, Father, that this community would be blessed because Redemption Church is here. We pray that the gospel advance in Augusta because Redemption Church is here. I pray just for your church at large in Augusta that we would be about knowing you and about taking you to others. And just let us see your gospel go forth in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And before I prayed, I forgot to do the invitation, right? But if you know, we're going to do communi- uh, communion. You'll come down in the middle. These guys are going to show us how to do it. And uh, we're going to come down and we're going to take the bread. You dip it in the wine or juice. And that's, as we do that, we're reminding one another that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's our Lord. We're confessing him as Christ and reminding each other that he's Christ, that we can follow him. Right? And so if you're a Christian, whether you're a member here or not, we invite you to come and do that. If you're not a Christian and you don't say that he's the Christ, then don't come and do this because you can't say that's what you would be saying and you can't say that. But instead, hear what we're saying to you through our action. Jesus is the Christ and he's made an invitation for you. 
He went all the way to the cross for you, and he's made a way for you to live life. And maybe right now you don't know completely what life is about. I'm telling you, he's defined it better because he was your creator, right? So that's what we're doing. And then uh, number two, we have a tithe and offering back, a basket in the back, and you can give there. That's through our worship of giving tithes and offerings. And then the band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in some worship. It's time for prayer. There'll be people for prayer in the back. If you have somebody you'd like, if you need to talk to somebody or pray with somebody, please Grab them, grab me, grab anybody, and you can do that. Amen.